0: program may be pre-recorded good morning and welcome to Connections radio show where we talk about ideas that matter I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and it's the first Saturday of the month, so, of course, we're talking Diversity Institute, and our co-host today and co-producer is from the Diversity Institute. In fact, Melissa Adams is the president and executive director. Welcome, Melissa. I'm so glad you're here today.
1: Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for having me. As usual, I'm always excited to be here and happy to work with you on this program, for uh, racial
0: healing, absolutely, and I love the Diversity Institute, and it's it's so important to let folks know that the Diversity Institute believes that diversity is everybody's business, and mm-hmm. it's the potential of all individuals is what you care about. And when yes. and when we do our show with the Diversity Institute, what I love is that we're really exploring cultural identities. We celebrate the richness of multicultural voices sharing cultural perspectives and insights. Uh, we discuss needs and opportunities for multicultural communities and allies, and, and we address challenges in creating social justice and, equi- and equity. And we do that by doing straight talk. And I love that that we were talking one day uh, last December about a book we both loved, the Racial Healing Handbook. And we went, let's do, like, shows on that. Yeah. (laughs) Let's let's just break down the handbook. And it's a great handbook. It's called The Racial Healing Handbook. It's Practical Activities to Help You Challenge Privilege, Confront Systemic Racism, and Engage in Collective Healing. It's by Annalise Singh. And you can buy this book. I mean, we're we're going chapter by chapter in, in the handbook to just, Look at what offer what she offers in terms of how do we do the process of healing because we are hurting.
1: Mm-hmm. But, you know, Lori, what what, I, um, what stood out to me as you were reading that or or calling that out is yeah. that engage in collective yeah. healing means yeah. we have to do it together. Yeah, we have to heal together, and collective really stood out to me. You have to have you know you have to be connected to people. And you and others need to heal together. Right. So I really like that collective healing. Well, we're uncomfortable,
0: aren't we, as a as a nation and as a world. We're just yeah. uncomfortable talking about race and and no not knowing how to make the connection and because it's comfortable, uncomfortable, it's, you've always said that you need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you want to get comfortable, right. then be okay being uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, it's okay, you know, to be uncomfortable. And I think the most important thing for folks to remember is that we can't grow in our comfort zone. And that um, even as children grow, we hear they have growing pains. It's not, it doesn't feel good. To yeah.
0: Grow yeah, it's and hard.
1: It's going, to, it's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. But on the other side of that is a breakthrough.
0: But how proud you are when you are growing, when, you know, your, your family marks on the door jam where you're at. You, know, you go right. wait a minute That's look true. at that look at that I it may have hurt but I've gone from this mark to the next and and sometimes I think we need to create our celebrations for growth as well yeah so that yes. that yeah it was painful yeah it was hard you can look back and go that was awkward that was a growing stage that was awkward but um mm-hmm. I, I I see things differently now I'm I'm taller I'm taller in, in gaining um Cultural intelligence, cultural insights, and I want to celebrate yeah. that.
1: Well, and I like that you said it was awkward because sometimes those conversations are very awkward. Yeah, <laughs> they are.
0: And you make mistakes and it yeah. hurts. and, and um, But once you get through that fumbly-mumbly, you know, awkward, it, when you can work through those moments um, and have real conversations, authentic conversations – what richness is there for you? Um, maybe you don't have the words initially, and the words have to come like practice, just like you practice. You know, you, you may not be a fast runner, but you know, you, you work yourself up, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. or or even if you don't want to be a fast runner, just you, you, you don't want to even walk a mile. <laughs> <laughs> you you walk enough, you can walk that mile. So, how do we walk miles with um with others and not be afraid? Uh, learn how to trust. Learn to be trustworthy of conversations, too. You know, what What do we need to bring into a relationship um, to create that trust so you can build friendships?
1: Right. Because that's where it starts, with the trust.
0: Yep, yep. So if folks want to join the conversation today, feel free. The number's 952-946-6205. Again, the number's 952-946-6205. This week, we're looking at, the next level of conversation, we're going to look at race and friendships. We're also going to look at race at the work and school. Um, what kind of conversations we are having with uh, our partners and friends and family? Um, have have we had multicultural relationships uh, in partnerships and people we've dated and um, people who become family? What's that like? And then uh, we're gonna we're gonna close the show looking at how do we make friends and connections with diverse individuals. What are what are some things to be thinking about? So throughout the show, we'll we'll be talking about those good things. Um, but let's start with race and friendships. And I think one way to start it is Melissa and my friendship. It's a hoot. Yeah, Sometimes when it we, is when we talk, we, we it, because we're at the same sort of time in our life. <laughs> We seem to be doing similar things, like house yes. – cons- we we talk about our house renovations, painters coming, uh, new kitchen counters going in, um, and laugh about our, our, our challenges that we're facing in tearing our home apart.
1: Yes. And then you know what really blew my mind was when I found out that we have the same type of dog.
0: Yes. Me at the same time, and it's a strange dog.
1: <laughs> right, it's part <laughs> Pomeranian and part Chihuahua, very weird mix. Um, uh, and you don't find many of those. And Lori and I have the same type of dog. <laughs> I know, it just you. Did, we we
0: ended up having our uh, COVID shots at the same time. just, and we yes, don't we, we don't make these plans. But it's that sort of ongoing, you know, life experiences that you can laugh and joke about that are really important. But what we want to start with is thinking about, you know, it, I think it was easier for me growing up. To have multicultural friends because of my environment was very multicultural. Um, I was born in New Jersey. Very multicultural. I moved. We moved to D.C. Mom was involved with civil rights, very involved with multicultural group, moved to Southern California. My school, I looked at my picture of me in school. It, we were there where we there was not a white majority in my school. I mean, it was one third Latino, one third Asian Pacific, one third white. I, I, we, oh, wow. Yeah. So. It it was very multicultural. Same in Northern California and back in D.C. I didn't grow up in Minnesota. I grew up in a very rich multicultural celebration uh, of neighborhoods and community. But not everyone in Minnesota had that, that opportunity. Uh, to grow up. And and there are parts, uh, I would bet, in in New York um, that are homogeneous um, Puerto Rican, homogeneous African-American. Yeah, for sure. And homogeneous doesn't always mean just white neighborhood. It just means you know, a neighborhood. It just means the same. Mm -hmm.
1: What's ironic, though, Lori, is I grew up on a pretty diverse street. I was on the borderline of the black community and the borderline of the Hispanic or uh, Puerto Rican and white community. So in Bushwick, there was the Puerto Rican and white community. They had beautiful houses. Like, they were almost like mansions. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side was Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, where black folks lived. And it was really, there was a lot of poverty. Our our, our street was in between those two communities um our block as as african americans our block was even split in half like half of the block Spanish people lived at the far end of the block, and white people kind of lived in the, like, at the far end and middle of the block. And then black people lived on the, the beginning of the block, at the other side, closer to where black it, people live. And it's I'm, I'm sure, so weird.
0: I'm sure part of it was there was a sense of belonging, but there's also a sense that you know, some of the uh, zoning and whatnot actually yes. encouraged cultures to to be separated yes it did and that's a challenge but I want to ask you a question do you remember your first friend who was not african-american that you considered you're you're from probably as a kid in your neighborhood
1: yeah uh, my first friend was a little girl named veronica um, and she and I used to walk to school together in the second grade so yeah definitely remember my first friend there was some um there was actually some racism in that relationship that kind of split us up and so you know it's really interesting too just like you mentioned that not only did we live in separate communities but we were told we were given separate messages about black people white people spanish mm-hmm. people all of us were given these messages that kind of dictated where we would choose to live as well sure right
0: sure and again it gets to back to trust and fear right in a community where people are alike there's there can be more trust in um shared culture but it, it yes and 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 there may not have have some conflict I think it's important that we bring up that Everyone loves multicultural until there's conflict, and then then it's awkward. Right. Then we go into like our fear place of like you know yes. assumptions and ideas, and we don't know how to know work through conflict. Yeah.
1: This week, I have actually been saying conflict is good. Conflict is good. Yeah. I've been telling people that conflict is good. Well, you start to learn
0: you the- because you start to yeah. you start to see what are the different priorities and values, and as long as right. there's not well, my value is better than your value. You know, when we get, can really get to the point of understanding conflict is based on assumptions and ideas and let's just find common ground. Um, but it's when people are afraid that I think you get defensive and there's accusations and there's right and wrong and it's like, whoa. <laughs> it's, well,
1: I think, too, people have different perceptions of conflict. Yes. And they approach it from different views. Some people lean into conflict and say, yeah, let's negotiate. I love negotiation. Some people fall back from conflict or lean back from conflict. They and say, you know what? You know, I don't want to argue. You can have it. You can. <laughs> well, you can and, and, right? it also,
0: and it also can be family-related uh, values. I remember my first friend. As well as it brought up a family issue. <laughs> One of our, fr- I was only like three years old living in New Jersey, and we had um, friends who were Muslim down the street. And Rhonda and Karen were just exotic and wonderful. Their house smelled like, oh, all these wonderful spices. And I adored going into Rhonda and Karen's home. Well, Rhonda and Karen knew who they were going to marry. I mean, they they were they had their whole uh, life sort of mapped out. They were going to have a prearranged marriage, and they knew which third cousin that they were going to marry. And I thought that was cool. <laughs> My mm-hmm. parents were like, let's talk this through. <laughs> we're not right. going to prearrange a marriage for you. <laughs> so <laughs> we had to, like, have me understand different ways people approach their future family. Um, I right. thought I thought it was great that Rhonda and Karen, you know, can start making plans now. Uh, <laughs> but, it, you know, and mom and dad had to explain how there's also value in being able to meet someone and choose on your own who you would like to marry. Uh, mm-hmm. But those were big things, you know, for a three-year-old, three, four-year-old to take in. And right. I don't think I made sense of it until later. But the exposure was really healthy for me to see that – People make different choices.
1: Yes. And I think as we look at how we ended up here, yep. how do we end up to this place where we make these choices? Yep. And, you know, Lori, you, you also mentioned earlier that we gravitate to like yes. people who are like us. And I just wanted to pa- pull back, go back to that mo- for a moment and help people understand that's unconscious bias. Yes. un. Um, You know, an unconscious bias happens to all of us. Uh, None of us. I don't know if science has found someone who doesn't deal with unconscious bias. It's how
0: our brain works. We want to feel safe. And so right. we make all these decisions without even realizing that we're making these decisions. All these bits of information that our brains just sort of goes, "Oh, safe, not safe," <laughs> and <laughs> right. and we choose to be in a place that's safe. Now sometimes that's that's good for us. I mean, when the brain processes that we smell smoke and there's fire in our home, the brain says, "Just get out," and and right. and that's good. But if our brain is telling us something isn't safe, um, just out of, you know, bits of information that we've collected from TV and family and whatnot. And and we can take a moment and pause and go, is that my first reaction? Okay, but right. what about my second reaction? I'm responsible for that right. one, as you have said so many times.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the, the gist of it, right? Making those decisions. But I think you bring up such a, a valid point. Fear.
0: Yeah. And with that... People, and with that, I've got to take. I've, I've gone way over. Of course, I break. always do. With that, <laughs> we got to take a break. We so we're we're gonna keep talking about fear and trust. How do we navigate that? And we're gonna look at work and school in our next segment. So stay with us. We're gonna be right back. Just. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host, and today our show is co-produced with the Diversity Institute. I have Melissa Adams, who is the president and executive director, as my co-host. Welcome, Melissa. Are we having a great conversation or what? We
1: are. (laughs) We're
0: talking about race and friendships, and in this segment, we're talking about race and work and school uh, and I want you to feel free to give us a call if you'd like to be part of the conversation. If you have a question or a comment and want to share a story, our number is 952-946-6205. And I also want to promote the Diversity Institute. Uh, Melissa, what's the best way for folks to to get connected with the Diversity Institute? What's your website?
1: Um, they can follow us at www.stantonadams.com
0: terrific and the yeah so
1: go for it the Diversity Institute and Stanton Adams are one um, organization so folks can go to stantonadams.com. there are also some events they can sign up for on that website
0: ooh do tell tell us about some of the events
1: well one of the events we're doing is an extensive cohort training on the Annalise Singh racial healing dialogue book
0: so, so folks like these handled. conversations and want to get into a deep dive with a cohort that's available. Yes. Right? Great.
1: Yes. Great opportunity. The cohort is a lot of fun. Folks actually are really excited about the cohort part of it because they get the, the opportunity to learn with others.
0: And that's so important. It, it.
1: Yeah.
0: And we're going to be talking about that throughout the show, especially, you know, the end. What, how are, what are some really important ways to find building relationships and having conversations. It's not easy. You can't just walk up to someone at McDonald's and go, can I talk to you about your culture? It's a little awkward. Right. <laughs> right. And they're going to think you're weird. So don't do that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but there are ways to have good conversation. And you host those conversations that allow people to explore with each other
1: and work I through their own. I do. Yeah. I give people the opportunity to work through some of, and you know, the most important thing is we all need collective healing, and that's why I really liked what Annalise Singh says in the front, in the title of her book. And and for those not,
0: and for those who are just joining us and may not know what we're talking about when we're talking about this handbook, it's the Racial Healing Handbook, and it's written by Annalise Singh. We highly recommend it. We've been going through this book as part of our conversations this year, the first yeah, first think, Saturday of the month.
1: <laughs> I think people should understand that. Not only do African-Americans, Hispanics, Asian, BIPOC people need to heal from racial trauma, our non-BIPOC, our white Americans, our white constituency needs to heal from racial trauma, meaning meaning they need to heal from what they've been told. We've all been lied to, essentially, and told that being white is better than being black. When in essence, we're all humans and people should feel good about themselves and, and who they are, regardless as to what their race is. Right? Yeah. And and, and we, actually, none... actually, going one step further,
0: treasure who we are. It's OK. We, I think sometimes there are um, some in the white community and I have at times struggled with this, you know, of, of this horrible guilt and shame. Yes. and And yes, there has been challenges over the years. But we can't just carry that because then right. we're not having real, authentic conversations. We're coming not from a place of joy. We're coming from a place of sorrow. And I think if right. we, we become uh, engaged and celebratory of our culture, then we can approach other cultures with a shared sense of enthusiasm, oh, a shared culture. I
1: love it. Yeah. yeah. I love what you just said, though, because <laughs> it's true. Yeah, We have to have self-awareness. And enjoy and love who we are, before we could potentially love and enjoy other people. And it exactly. goes back to relationships, right? Yeah, yeah. Before I can appreciate other people, I need to appreciate myself.
0: Well, I know we over we ran over in the last segment, but we, so we're going to run over in this one a little bit too. Uh, letting my technician, <laughs> my technical director, know that. Uh, in this segment, we were going to explore a little bit about schools and work. Um, do okay. you have a story for us in thinking about, you know, you and your schools growing up, any experience, or it could even be something Again, in your early work? You
1: know, I, I think what we want to think about, too, is African Americans, Hispanics, BIPOC people mm-hmm. have basically been um, told where we can live. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whereas- and, that,
0: and that impacts where you go to school. As well. Right.
1: And that impacts where you go to school. But here's the challenge. White Americans had the ability to live anywhere. They they get to choose where they want to live. Uh-huh. Right. They have the privilege of choice. If they if they wanted to live in a poor neighborhood, they could. If they wanted to live in a more well to do neighborhood, they had that that option if they could afford it. Right. Right. African Americans if you could afford to live in a in a safer better cleaner um, neighborhood you may not have been allowed to do so because of your race because of some of the federal guidelines that were in place and because of some of the people who were living in those neighborhoods who did not want to specifically moved into those neighborhoods to not live with black people, Hispanic people. Um, and you look at the racial covenants inside of some of the deeds, and we can see how people had the choice to live in these communities where they did not have to interact with black people. And when black people or Hispanic people or any even Jewish people moved into those neighborhoods, they were treated horribly. Yeah.
0: So again, that gets back school, to that fear and trust. Why was there fear in right. having this, those families so, move in?
1: So when you're in school and all you see are people who look like you, you are not given the opportunity to build relationships with people who do not look like you. Yeah. So when you go into the workplace, and now the workplace is just a little bit more diverse than your school was, and you start to interact with people of color, you do not know how to interact with them because you've never interacted with people of color in your life. Right. And all these people have to go on are stereotypes that they've seen on television.
0: And that can lead to conflict. Because yeah, it can lead because to because like anything that gets based on a media perception that is uh, a very small slice of reality um, can create big uh, assumptions on how we right. who we are and what we
1: do. Well, well I, Lori, you know what? Go for it. This, yeah. This, this... Is this the end of the segment? Yeah, it is. Come back with <laughs> I'll hold that thought. Oh, will. I'll oh, hold good. that thought. Oh, good, 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 good. We, we do
0: need to go. Um, but I want to leave the audience with some of the questions that um, Annalise uh, Singh shared with us. Think about how race showed up in your school. Um, how did race show up at your work? And did you have racial conflicts? What were they? Be thinking about it. We'll be right back. We're going to... Um, get some commercials to pay for our wonderful work that we do here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning. Welcome back. I'm Lori Fitz and we're so glad that you're making the connections here on Connection Radio Show. Our show today is co-produced with the Diversity Institute. I have Melissa Adams who is the president and executive director as my co-host And the Diversity Institute believes that diversity is everybody's business. The potential of all individuals is important. Welcome, Melissa. So glad you're
1: here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Lori.
0: You know, I wanted to mention that Stanton Adams and Diversity Institute are one and the same, And that you work with both individuals and organizations. And in our last segment, you shared a little bit about how individuals get involved. But you also uh, do a lot of work in helping organizations build strategies for leadership capacity and promoting inclusion. Um, And you you do a wonderful job in really creating a brave space where leaders can increase their cultural awareness, deepen their knowledge, practice skills, and supportive learning environments. So tell me a little bit about the summit coming up.
1: Yes. Well, the great thing about the summit is going to be three days this year. It's online. And what we're doing on the first day is we are talking to leaders from around the Twin Cities and asking them about how they're managing through COVID, through um, after the death and and, um, conviction of. Uh, after the death of George Floyd, conviction of um, Derek Chauvin, what things have they implemented in their organizations when it comes to creating um, equitable and uh, spaces where people feel they belong? So they're gonna give us some tips, tools, and techniques about that on day one. On day two, I'm pulling together people from around the globe and asking them, these are folks who who have done work outside of the United States, and asking them how they did it. How are you doing these wonderful things? I have this woman who went to Sri Lanka and built seventy homes for people after the tsunami. Wow! I also have have the woman who was uh, foundational in uh, the in in getting the um, first Muslim woman elected to Senate in Minnesota. Wow! Ilhan Omar, wonderful. This woman created a. a a group of women um, who were Muslim women who wanted to learn more about politics. And eventually Ilhan Omar came up out of that group.
0: Isn't that amazing?
1: Yes. So that's day two. Day three, Cecilia Stanton, my business partner, best friend and wife and I are going to help people to look at their diversity strategy to make sure that they have metrics and that they're measuring the right things. We're, you know, also giving out some awards throughout. So it's a great conference. People should, it's an online conference. So you don't have to leave your home um, to take part. And it's going on for three days and people can um, sign up and, and enjoy it while um, we have so many people coming out to this conference. It's amazing.
0: So tell us how to find this information um, and how to register.
1: Oh, they can go right to www.stantonadams.com, click on events, and they will be able to register right there. Fabulous.
0: And if folks want to join us today in our conversation, you can call 952 946 Six two zero five, and we've been talking about uh, relationships um, and how do we build them and what are what's some context to be thinking about in relationships. And first segment we were talking about friendships, and we talked a little in our last segment about schools and we're, yeah. And, and I was oh, go for it. I, you, was, you, I was holding a thought. Remember?
1: Good. Yes. 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 I, I had it. In, it's heavy. I'm holding on. Oh, good. It's
0: time to let it go. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think part of part of the interesting thing, like I was saying, you know, African-Americans, we had no choice on where we lived. And growing up, I actually lived in a well, we had choices within barriers. Mm -hmm. Right. I could live in any part of the neighborhoods that were designated for blacks. And some of them were neighborhoods where people were affluent Blacks, mm-hmm. right? And then some of them were neighborhoods where people were dealing with poverty. Um, anywhere on that spectrum. But when I went to school, because I'm a Gen Xer, when I went to school, schools were already segregated for probably 10 to 15 years by the time I got to school. Um, so and I remember in my fifth grade class, I had people from all different races. There was a girl from India. There was... Uh, many kids who were Hispanic, there were white children um, and black children, even children who um, were Muslim, right? So right. I went, I was in a very diverse setting going to school. On top of that, I went to public school, which is also really diverse. And as we think about, that's an opportunity, really, mm-hm. That's an opportunity to learn about different cultures. If we go to the other side of town, perhaps in uh, Bensonhurst, New York, where it's mostly populated by white folks, and these kids are going to schools where all of the children look like them, I feel those children were at a disadvantage. Yeah, I think you're right. Right. Right.
0: I, I think back because and, and feel didn't feel really blessed. Get the that, richness, yes.
1: of diversity, right?
0: Right, and, and and have the joys of growing up, under uh, having being exposed to different cultures and different ways of thinking, um, right. and, and feeling the connect. I, I was thinking back in schools, and um, I remember a little boy down the block. Um, uh, he. He was Asian Pacific. He, I think, his mother was from Hawaii, and she had roots in China. So she, he had both Chinese um, roots as well as, um, I believe, his his father was Korean. So he had, he was of two different Asian descents. But I adored mm-hmm. him. Roger. Roger came to my door and he insisted on carrying my books. I mean, he was very old-fashioned, and we'd walk to the bus together every morning. Um, and when he had to move back to Hawaii, he came to me with tears because his father was in the Navy. and you know, it was, you know, it was truly heartbreaking. but he, I, as a child, I don't think well, he's Asian, he's different. you know, I, I thought he was Roger. And and loved his culture and loved going over to his home and having you know Hawaiian meals that were just amazing, um, and learning about yeah. the culture of China and Korea. I mean that's this is a little girl. Uh, I I was I was blessed to have the opportunity to learn about cultures and I gained, you know what I consider cultural intelligence about different cultures and that that there can be an enthusiasm and an excitement and not a fear. Um, but it, it's it's in the setting to me. It's in how do we approach it. If we approach it clinically, it's always going to be clinical. But if we right. approach it with enthusiasm and, um, and, and an, whether it's a sense of adventure or just, you know, being intrigued by different cultures, I think is a very healthy thing.
1: Yes. You, wow. And you, I think you're right, you know, being intrigued by different cultures is something that I always was intrigued by other cultures and I think that can be very helpful. And and expanding our what we take in. Yes. So what what shows are you watching? Yes. What authors are you reading?
0: You know. And 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 you, we were saying in the first segment it's like how do you grow? And sometimes there's there are awkward moments when Something that you've assumed you say in a way that you think you're being nice, but Mm -hmm. actually it's (laughs) revealing uh, a whole set of uh, lack of knowledge of of another culture and that you've, you know, pulled. And that's where I think sometimes people get very afraid talking about it because they go, I'm going to say something wrong. I know I'm going to say something wrong and then I'm going to feel stupid and then I'm not going to, you know, and then they're going to hate me because I've said something stupid. And what I found is I've said lots of stupid things and – when I take a moment and admit, uh, because the moment it hangs in the air, I think I may have said something stupid. Will you help me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember one time <laughs> at work, I had gone in and I'd made this great big presentation Um for the West Side, uh, there was association of nonprofits that got together and talked about health and wellness. And I worked at the American Cancer Society, so I made this wonderful presentation, I thought, on uh, taking control of your life and healthy nutrition and how important it is to exercise and all these things that you know, seventy-five percent of cancers are are uh, preventable, you know, through actions that we can do by taking control. And so I, I gave it all. It was a very white presentation of all the opportunities of, you know, eating very good food and being able to have access to exercise and all of this stuff. And the the materials were all very white and did not show multicultural. And I just, the, it just, I could tell that after I gave a presentation, they all just stared at me. And I said, well, you know, I, I could walk out of this room and you all are going to talk about what a stupid presentation I just made. Or you can tell me. And if you tell me, I'll learn and I won't make a presentation like that again. So tell me, what did I do wrong? And they, right. they opened up and they said, you know, I, I, I'm trying to get people to, you know, have their broken arm get fixed because they keep going to work in a factory because they can't afford not to work. And you're making an assumption that, you know, they can, um, you know, get their mammogram and they don't have insurance. Yeah, you know, it's it's much more complicated than an easy. This is what you need to do, and I think for me it shows up at work when we tell people what to do and we haven't really thought through what the consequences are or what the context is. Um, right, and that's what I learned is that I have to like before I make an assumptions of of things that how a work should go or what you know, encouraging with health message or whatnot it's more complicated. It isn't just an easy answer. And what we think in terms of, yeah, get uh, eat more fruits and vegetables. Well, a lot of these places are in food deserts. And right. we need to make sure and it's not just, I'm not bringing this up and saying all multicultural communities have this, but there's a disproportionate amount um, of people of color in uh, environments that are challenged. And what do we need to do to communicate messages without being uh, presumptuous, uh, but being truly caring about how do you build partnerships and build towards a better way of living, um, and that's it's sort of separate than making friends. But I remembered it because it was such a harsh reality re- to that I was really out there trying to be supportive, and what I was doing was insulting. and And they at least took the time to explain to me that I was being insulting.
1: But that's part of it, too, right? You have to care. Yeah. Like they cared enough to say something. Yeah. And it's also often been um, a challenge for people of color because for many, many years, people of color have placated um non-people of color or white people honestly to say oh it's okay no no that microaggression you just said is okay yeah, yeah. and it's not right. but how and do you present not. it back
0: so that folks can hear that and go oh i'm going to own that and i'm going to change it because i see where i'm where you're coming from and not just get mad and that's that conflict thing that we talked about that well we have
1: to yeah we have to do it we have to acknowledge validate and do it with compassion Yep. Acknowledge what the person is saying. I acknowledge that I just said a microaggression. Yep. I'm really sorry, and I validate your feelings. I understand that that can be harmful language. Can, can you help me understand how I should have said it? Right.
0: You know, Melissa, we're going to have to make um, relationships and family and all that a whole show. Because yeah. we're already, I, I mean, we've again, we've gone through this segment. <laughs> We're yeah. over this segment but I do want to make sure that in our next segment we do talk about thinking about how do you make friends and connections with diverse individuals and part of I it think I think so is too. through your diversity institute um, but I think there's some other things to be thinking about as well so stay with us Melissa and I are going to talk about um, how to make some friends and you're listening to AM 950 the progressive voice of Minnesota and we'll be right back Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we've been talking about racial healing. Uh, And my cohort, my co-producer, my friend, uh, my co-host, Melissa Adams, uh, who is the president and executive director of the Diversity Institute, has been joining me in the conversation and leading the conversation on racial healing. And we're talking about relationships today, right?
1: Yes. And, and, you know, relationships are multi-layered mm-hmm. you can have fam- familial relationships you can have work relationships intimate relationships so relationships there are a lot of different layers to relations between mm-hmm. people of different races
0: yeah and one of the things we've talked about is you know the richness of you know being able to have multicultural friends but if you're mm-hmm. in a homogeneous environment sometimes it's hard to know how to do that and we were going to in this segment um, talk about how to build those. And, and one way is through your cohort program that you've got through the Stanton Adams Diversity Institute. Um, and yes. people can sign up for that. They can go to statenadams.com, right? Is that, that's the best way to yes. take a look at that. If you if you want to have these Certainly. kind of conversations, Melissa does a beautiful job in leading them. Um, I coach sometimes as part of it as well. So I love being a part of that. And it's a great way to have a deeper conversation. But some of the other things I was thinking about that everyone has a chance to do um, is just even going to an independent restaurant and a different cuisine that maybe that you're not used to, go explore Mm -hmm. it and then go talk to the owner about their their restaurant or, you know, the folks that, that are running the restaurant get to know them that they want to do business with you um you want to learn about the culture go and not just taste the different cuisine but get to know the people who are serving you get to know the people that own the restaurant um they, they that's that's what they want they want to build a relationship with you right
1: yes and i think as a small business owner myself you know I think if people were to come to me and say, hey, you know, I really want to learn more about you and learn what it, what it means as an entrepreneur of color, you know, to be in business, I would love to talk more about that. And just think about some of the different restaurants that you go to in the community, supporting those restaurants, where whether it's a Thai restaurant and you learn. Like I learned a lot about um, the restaurant, the Locust restaurant restaurant. Um, mm-hmm. They have a few different locations. It's family-owned. It's Thai food. And um, the mother and father have owned it all for all of maybe um, 15, 20 years here in Minnesota. And their children have taken over the restaurant.
0: And I bet you'd love to take a a class and and learn about how to make Thai food. And and taking that class, you get to know people in your group as well as who's teaching it. Taking, class. you know, the yeah. other thing I wanted to bring up is art fairs. Now, I also want to promote. There's a virtual art fair, uh, The PowderhornArtFair.com is going on right now, and that's the neighborhood uh, where where George Floyd was murdered. And and what came out of that neighborhood was art. The first thing that we saw was image and art. Art and activism has always been very powerful in Powderhorn art. Yeah. So you can yes. support healing through art and through buying art and getting to know cultures and and I have always we've always supported the Powderhorn Art the Powderhorn Art Fair highly recommend taking a look at their virtual art fair that's happening this weekend. And even yes. if you're not at a virtual art fair, maybe there's there's art fairs going on that you can go and meet and talk to artists. Make a beeline to artists who are from a different culture. They'll want to talk to you about their art. They'll, and make that connection.
1: And I think part of What we can do is simply be intentional about when we go out into the world, being intentional about opening, being open and and, um, pulling those, calling those relationships to us. So I think I believe in the law of attraction in the sense that if you call positive relationship opportunities to you, you will run into positive relationship opportunities. And look in your in your Rolodex, look on your LinkedIn page, you know, get to know some of the people that that are a part of your network. We have a lot of people in our Facebook network that we probably don't know.
0: And that we can call a... Um, to... There are a
1: lot of opportunities. Well, yeah.
0: we're down to just a few seconds left of the show, and I just want folks to know that we're going to come back in, in one of our shows, and I think the next one we're going to talk about what kind of conversations you can have, and thinking about what that yes. conversation means. We'll also get to the family and relationship that we did not get to in this show, because we talked about so many other things, that were all wonderful and great. Um, but we'll talk about, you know, the, the next step in family intimacy and all of that um, and how we talk about race and, and strategies to think about in that conversation. And we're so glad that you've joined the conversation today and have been part of Connections Radio Show. Melissa, we always love having you. Thank you for co-hosting you so and much. co-producing. It's, a one, it's always a I wonderful always show. I always love being here. All right. Thank you,
1: Lori. Have a great week and think about making the you know, go out of your comfort zone.